My name is Nicholas Danforth, and I'm an editor at War on the Rocks. You are listening to The Warcast, the members-only podcast for what you need to know now. Earlier today, the defense ministers from Russia, Syria, and Turkey met in Moscow. Here to tell us what this portends for Russian-Turkish relations, as well as the future of Syria, is Aaron Stein. Aaron is the chief content officer at Metamorphic Media and the author of The U.S. War Against ISIS, How America and Its Allies Defeated the Caliphate. Great to have you on. It's good to be on this side of the uh, of the Warcast. Usually I'm in your role, so it's good to see you, Nick. It's a good topic we have here. What we've heard a lot of talk over the last couple months about uh, potential rapprochement between uh, President Erdogan and Assad. Is this in the cards? I mean, Erdogan has certainly said as such. I mean, he said that this these meetings would take place in a calibrated and sort of staged manner uh, in which he acknowledged the intelligence to intelligence talks, uh, which I think had been the worst kept secret in Ankara and Damascus and around the world for quite a number of years now. And he said that they could move forward, you know, beginning with defense to defense talks, which I think we are just witnessing now. Uh, I think to include foreign minister to foreign minister at a later stage, and then sort of ultimately holding back, which is the grand carrot, uh, at least from Erdogan's perspective, which is a leader to leader meeting. And in this context, you know, he, uh, Erdogan himself was highlighting the role of Moscow as the potential third party here. And so I think the talks being held in Moscow, sort of all the pieces fit together, that this is part of that sort of rollout from the Turkish state, prepping the population for what is uh, a relatively large about face in their policy vis-a-vis Bashar al-Assad. In what, presumably, when we've been following this in the past, it seemed like Assad was actually the one that was hesitant to meet with Erdogan. He had specific demands from Turkey, um, nominally, you know, the withdrawal of all Turkish troops on Syrian territory, something that Turkey did not seem eager to oblige. Uh, the fact that this meeting is happening at this level right now, is this the result of Russian pressure on Assad to uh, come to the table or to send his defense minister to the table? It certainly seems that way. You know, I, I think you know, the devil will always be in the details as to what they're discussing. Uh, we may get some leaks, particularly from the Russian to the Syrian side, about what this is. But my guess is that the, the ultimate sticking point here will be the territorial integrity of Syria itself, you know, as both sides define it. You know, the Turks will, will define that as joint solidarity against Kurdish groups. Uh, and I think the backdrop here is the potential invasion of Syria or renewed invasion of Syria by Turkish forces. And on the Syrian side, it's the presence of thousands, perhaps even tens of thousands of Turkish troops occupying checkpoints all over the place. Uh, from Idlib all the way out uh, to to uh, uh, the Euphrates River, and even on places on the other side of the Euphrates River, you know, all part of Turkey's at least four offensives in Syria, four offensives in Syria that began, you know, uh, in 2016. And so this comes on the heels of a lot of discussion about whether there was going to be a new Turkish offensive in Syria. The U.S. was against it. Russia was against it. Iran was against it. I mean, is this is the meeting potentially payoff for uh, Turkish pressure? Is there a sense in which, you know, by pushing, uh, by threatening this invasion, which you know clearly the Assad regime was against, that was something that that enabled Russia to basically say, all right, if you don't come to the table, 
we're going to green light this Turkish activity. Yeah, that's the known unknown. And I think that goes both ways as well. You know, Ankara likes to say it doesn't need a green light or permission from anybody to uh, sort of expand its intervention space in Syria. And of course, the background here is on November 13th, there was a bombing uh, in central Istanbul, Istiklal Street, for people who have been there, you know, killing six people, injuring upwards of 80. And Ankara is saying that this attack emanated from Syria itself. And so we need to continue in our efforts to clear out a 30 kilometer zone along the entirety of the border, its so-called safe zone, uh, and to eliminate, as they call it, a terror corridor. Now, of course, this goes back to the territorial uh, integrity issue that I was talking about in the previous one. Like, How can even in like moving forward, if you juxtaposition this forward, if you really do have a normalization between the two countries, yeah, how can you, um, as the Syrian government leverage, or sorry, how can, as the Syrian government, can you normalize the presence of foreign troops on your soil? Now, they may not have any, any say-so over that because they don't have the power to oust them, but that's certainly to be a sticking point, maybe something that could be negotiated in some sort of agreement. But the Russian role in this is that Ankara learned, particularly from um, what well, was ultimately a successful operation, but sort of catastrophically carried out, Operation Euphrates Shield, is that they need continuous air, air cover over the top of its invading forces. And that Russia, even though it has a diminished capacity, even though it has problems that it's facing in Ukraine, still has leverage in that sense. And it has capable air defense systems in Syria, and it still has air assets in Syria, and nobody wants horizontal escalation. And so it can, quote unquote, close the airspace, keeping the Turks at least in negotiations with them on how to deconflict air operations. And perhaps that was the leverage they used to push this meeting forward. The coming together of Turkish domestic politics, you know, operations in Syria, and the Russian leverage, however diminished in this case, bringing all three actors together. Now, to step back for a minute and talk about that Russian leverage, how like, big picture here since the start of the war in Ukraine has Russia's position in Syria shifted? I mean, both vis-a-vis -vis the actual military assets that it can or has deployed there, and you know it's complicated and evolving relationship with Turkey, which in some ways it is now more dependent on, given the situation in Ukraine. No, totally. I mean, the correlation of forces have always favored Turkey, right? Like Russia has a small, skinny expeditionary operation that's always been sort of a uh, combined uh, fixed-wing regiment with some air defenses attached to it and all that fun stuff. If you want to stack up the quote unquote numbers, like, of course, the Turks have more. They're on the border. But, you know, the, uh, that never really captures sort of like the dynamics at play here, which is that the two sides are neighbors. They, uh, they share a maritime border across the Black Sea. Uh, and they've become quite symbiotic in terms of how they operate in the in the region, but also how they're economically intertwined from everything from tourism to agricultural to energy trades. And so it's much more beneficial for the Turks, you know, from a number of aspects. Nobody wants um, escalation between the two sides, least of all Ankara, least of all Moscow, to somehow come to some arrangement. And so the, you know, and so the presence of Russian forces hasn't actually precluded Turkish operations. They've just sort of made Turkish operations have to be calibrated and deconflicted with Russian forces. And so you often have these back and forth sort of trips and negotiations, usually culminating in an Erdogan Putin phone call. They talk a lot, I always like to say. 
and that that leads the way to at least deconflict operations in ways that doesn't really like threaten the territorial integrity, like doesn't threaten the 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 um the government's control uh, in Damascus. This is no longer a regime change operation. It's more like these are narrowly calibrated. Uh, around Turkish counterterrorism interests that doesn't necessarily impact like the broader trajectory of Russian considerations in Syria, which are to make sure that the regime is ensconced. And I think that that's the major step back here. So if you were to look at the sort of fulmination of Russian-Turkish relations in Syria, that did reach a low point when the Turks shot down a Russian uh, bomber in November 2015. But the Reprisal actions Moscow taken, while not violent, uh, they were they were economic in nature. Forced a Turkish capitulation uh, uh, and an apology from Erdogan in June 2016. And following that, you know, you had a recalibration of Turkish interests in Syria, and so where it became less about pushing using the opposition that it backs to push Bashar out, and more about accepting Bashar via intermediary, in this case, the Russians and the Iranians, as a viable negotiating partner with the Turkish-backed uh, uh, opposition in some sort of power-sharing arrangement. And so I very much see this as a continuation of that. Ankara gave up on regime change, and so Ankara's operations, again, we're talking about 30 kilometers here, it's not very very much territory, um, 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 extending deep into Syria, doesn't actually threaten the regime. Uh, and so Moscow, in sort of its broader interests, can tolerate these actions. Uh, 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 so long as it gets reciprocal Turkish uh, concessions, which it's so far gotten. Now, in March 2020, we saw there was a conflict between Turkish and Russian forces on the front lines in Idlib. Uh, ultimately, in that situation, Moscow proved willing to directly attack Turkish forces, killed 34 Turkish soldiers, and the result was a ceasefire uh, taking place under Putin's uh, supervision in Moscow. Is that dynamic still in play? I mean, could we see today, would Russia still be willing to do something like that? Is that still a possibility or has that dynamic shifted? Yeah, you know, you're talking about the incident that Ankara doesn't actually acknowledge, right? Which is when one of its outposts in Idlib was bombed by Russian jets, killing, what was it, 36 soldiers. And what is a flagrant, you know, action by a hostile power, you know, uh, you know, that, the, the context there uh, was also that Turkey responded with a series of um, uh, airstrikes on Syrian regime forces, uh, largely conducted by drones. It ultimately shot down, I believe, three Syrian jets as a part of uh, uh, um, its countervailing offensive in Idlib to shore up its front lines. As is always the case in these dynamics with Turkish-Russian relations, like it depends on who's telling the story, who quote-unquote won, right? Some people will say the Russians won because the regime solidified its territorial gains that it carved out in its offensive, and it was able to bomb Turkish forces without reprisal. People who sort of spin the Turkish narrative is that they punished the regime when they were able to stop an offensive before it reached the border. It's really in the eye of the beholder. I think in this case, you know, we're not, see we're not talking about Turkish sort of expansion of its territorial control, like, in this one particular area, we're talking about sort of areas that are confined towards uh, uh, Kurdish majority areas, which again, like in some cases, can impinge on regime interests, but are sort of part of that broader counterterrorism nexus that Moscow can perhaps tolerate. With the greater payoff is that Erdogan and Bashar ultimately meet, so that its broader overarching mission in Syria, which was to sort of stand back up the regime when international support 
actually succeeds throughout the entirety of the Middle East uh, and its uh, adjacent parts to include Turkey. Final question here. What are the implications of this for U.S. policy? We saw a media blitz from SDF officials in Washington over the past month, very much trying to get the U.S. more engaged in stopping a potential Turkish offensive. Uh, By and large, it seems like for the last two years, the Biden administration has felt like the situation in Syria was sustainable. The U.S. role in Syria was sustainable. Um, If push comes to shove, has push come to shove, what what is this going to require the administration to do? Is this changing the administration's thinking about what their plans are for the region? Again, it's too early to tell. We're in a wait and see mode. Like the Biden administration's policy is very clear, which is that it tends to retain forces in Syria on a counterterrorism role in a slimmed down place, and those forces aren't going anywhere. The danger, of course, is always is that a Turkish intervention, a Turkish invasion, like risks sparking off a larger conflict between the U.S.-backed forces in Syria and its NATO allies. And so the U.S. continually tries to keep these two sides apart uh, with mixed success. It will depend on what was agreed or if anything was agreed and if the Turkish intervention zone expands as, a, as, as an outcome of this. Uh, and as an outcome of this, if that happens, if that upends the U.S. presence via the, 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 the horizontal escalation of conflicts between Syrian Kurds and Turkish forces. In aggregate, right, if you were to get some people in the Biden administration, says that you had normalization of Turkey with the regime, and that normalization didn't entail any significant concessions to Ankara on the sort of Syrian Kurdish issue, but perhaps wrap the Syrian Kurdish issue into a broader dialogue to end the conflict, it could actually serve U.S. interests. So it ultimately depends on how it ultimately turns out. It's too early to tell, but I ultimately think we'll figure this out in the coming uh, 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 months as the story unfolds. And we'll certainly have more coverage of this, both on the Warcast and in War on the Rocks, over the coming months. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you.